uh, starts by introducing ourselves. So uh, Chris, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, hey, uh, I'm Chris Sullivan. I'm uh, part of the founding team over at Bandpitch, and I run the technology group over there. And uh, we are all running on Amazon Web Services. So I guess I'll be representing the cloud here today. My name is Anna, and I'm the CEO of Forcing. We actually just launched a demo last Tuesday, launched out of beta, and we actually run our, on our own proprietary server technology. I'm Sean Reed with Digital Realty. We're a large owner and operator of uh, data centers around the world. And I'm Seth Blank. I run Startup Home Your Crew. And my background is incredibly schizophrenic. I run a finance company at Physical Iron. I run two hosting companies. I help a lot of startups uh, get into the cloud and get out of the cloud. And I've got my own startup, which is playing um, in the cloud and is looking to get out certain portions of our infrastructure because of the corporate cloud services anymore. So um, without further ado, I think we will jump straight in. And the first question is just going to be, what does the cloud mean to you? So the cloud to band page has meant really extreme flexibility where it allows us to handle spiky traffic as well as test new features and functionalities really, really easy. And then if we are interested, we can scale it up really fast, or if we're not, we can take it down really fast. And that flexibility has been really valuable to us. Uh, to us, the cloud is, um, you know, our own servers and um, programming them in a way where we can give uh, consumers a lot of space. We give you 15 gigs of free space just for signing up and, um, you know, very competitive, actually, the price leader in the market. So that's the cloud. That's what it means to us. Uh, so to, to us, uh, cloud services are um, really, really enable companies like Bandpage to turn up their services, some kind of infrastructure where you can launch product, run, run product, uh, and as well as a data center provider, uh, the cloud companies are our customers. The, the cloud sort of, you know, the cloud lives in the data center. So, so for, for the business people, the question is, what is the cloud done for your bottom line? It's uh, a good question. Uh, I think it has helped us uh, minimize the impact of sort of short-term investments a lot. Say if you have two million images that you need to resize, then the cloud can be really efficient because you can just rent a bunch of servers for a few hours and do that and then take them down you know, compared to leasing them for a year in a day or something. Uh, and in general, it allows you to keep the costs down. For example, if you have a really big growth spike and you need a lot of servers for traffic, but then like normally you are at like 50% of that and you can just get rid of some extra capacity right afterwards and it allows you to keep the costs down. For us, the cloud is our business. So we completely, you know, we run on the cloud and we're offering software to work with the cloud and synchronize everything. So the cloud runs our business, we are the cloud. Uh, and for us, uh, uh, it's, it's a double-edged sword. On our on our large-scale um, uh, leasing, cloud providers will take uh, lease entire buildings from us, and it's been uh, very good for the company's growth. Uh, I happen to work in the co-location services unit, so uh, it used to be if you were going to launch a new web-enabled business, you'd come into a, a co-location facility and take a cabinet. Uh, and, and today you launch on the cloud. So uh, we've, we're kind of trailing curve uh, and, and seeing that innovation uh, migrate into the data center, but, but it's been a short-term dip. 
Um, and please feel free to jump with any questions. Uh, I think we're all good for heckling, so feel free. And uh, now, now that we've sort of gotten the sort of generic cloud question, I really, since I was in the music business, how, how does using the cloud in music focus change the game? <laughs> well, how does it change the game? Well, from our perspective, it just, you know, we, we keep your music safe. Um, you know, we back it up so you, and we, you can also access it and stream it anytime. So, for example, if you're in a band um, and you forget your, you know, your tracks, you have them on your device and you can stream them right there. Uh, it's always accessible. Um, you know, there's also other aspects, I guess, of changing. And a lot of bands, um, you know, 30% of our cloud is music. So there are a lot of people streaming and storing and backing up their music in the cloud. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, it's changed the game for, for music, music tech, uh, in, the, in the same way that it's changed the game for tech, which is to enable innovation, uh, new products, drastically lowers the barrier of entry for um, you know, discovery, streaming, you know, any of the, the products and sponsors you look around uh, here at Music Tech, I, I would bet you that most of them are, are either have used or are in some way using the cloud to enable their business and do things differently. Yeah, and I think one of the key things is like if you look at the cloud as a whole, you see all these different services that make APIs available, like YouTube and SoundCloud are two big players, and then companies like ours, we tie all of that together, so we're sort of like a service sitting on top of a bunch of cloud services on the cloud, enabling other businesses. So uh, it's game-changing in the way that it helps connect the entire music ecosystem and enables innovation on top of a solid foundation. You really made it sound more like a web. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that actually leads to a very interesting question, which is there's this convoluted daisy chain of services and rights owners and users who change every step of the game. And that seems like it's a minefield of disastrous consequences. So how, how do you navigate that minefield and stay alive and, and thrive as bandages and, and forsake and the digital kind of selling buildings to people who are not even like How do you do that? Because a lot of people seem to be dead in that minefield. Yeah, it's, uh, certainly it is a minefield. So the key is, so again, say that you are connecting YouTube accounts and SoundCloud accounts, and then the artist is pulling data in from those and adding data to them, and then we are syndicating that out to Facebook. Then we have our own privacy policy in terms of service. Facebook does for its app developers as well as its users. SoundCloud does as well for both users and applications, and YouTube does. So you're looking at like maybe 12 agreements for trying to gather those three services. And you have to be really, really careful that the, the integrations that you do, even though they might be technically possible, really also comply with all of Are you using? How do you pull that off with a small entity? Uh, well, I would recommend working with a good law firm. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll jump into the legal question then, which is um, takedowns are a way of life. 
and when you have servers which may be in different countries with different regulations and you've got different jurisdictions, like, how, how do you deal with that mess? Yeah, you deal with a lot of sort of business logic infrastructure. It's just like a thing happened to us, for example, we were running this campaign with Avril Lavigne and uh, she released this big new single uh, and it was available for streaming everywhere, but it was available for download everywhere but Japan. And one of our servers, we had like maybe 40 of them, had an outdated IP database. So every 20, 30 requests or so, the, the song would be available for download in Japan, but, but the QA team couldn't see it. So 2 a.m. on New Year's Eve, their management in Japan calls us and they were like, what's going on? Okay, we were saying, well, this happens. So we had to rally the whole team, they had to get off their New Year's Eve parties and like, we solved the problem, but that's certainly something that the music industry would take very seriously and you, you have to really be on top of all of this and make sure to. Please. Well, this dovetails into a very interesting question about the Earlier, you are talking about the cloud and hosting services. And, and, and really, the cloud breaks out into two types of hosted services. You have the Amazon type of services, I'll roll my own, I'll manage my own. I'll roll my own servers and I'll manage them. And then there are the Google App Engines and the Heroku's of the world, where it is more of a turnkey scenario, where I'm going to allow them to manage the server operations, the database, uh, the IP tables, and the routing. And right there, you're, if you roll into something like Google App Engine, that's Google's problem to keep those server um, IP tables up to date. So the question I have is, how do you feel about um, the abstracted layer of Google App Engine, Heroku's, and those other managed tiles? Um, well, I think uh, it's, it's really up to your level of uh, comfort as well as expertise. It's really important that you to Get, go with a solution that's right for you. And in this case, like a lot of the business logic is like really on our end, right? Like it, it is about to stream, for example, but not to download. So uh, I think that in most scenarios, we would have to have that logic on our end regardless. Um, but these services that are very turnkey, they, they can help you get started. But at one point or another, you'll get to a point where you need more customization. Just like you will in the cloud, you'll get to a point where you want to really tweak the hardware, and that's when you call Sean and set up the, call, set up the data center. Yeah, we, we talked a lot about inflection points uh, when we were upstairs preparing for this. And, and r really, everybody's business is different. And when you make those different transitions and, and cost drives them and security drives them, um, customization, um, you know, it, it, it's really unique for everybody, but they, they exist out there when you make those transitions from, you know, more simple to more complex, owning your own gear, uh, Google App Engine to an Amazon, et cetera. And I think we'll come back to inflection points. And there's a, a comeback to the, the legal issue for just a second, and we'll, we'll come back to your question. It is, uh, do you have any stories about takedowns uh, or any, anything really ugly? Because you, you deal with a major file sharing infrastructure yeah. and mega uploads in the news and there's a panel with, with their attorneys, I guess. Yeah, yes. no, that's actually an interesting so. panel because I actually started with Foreshared, which is the largest file sharing company in the world. And um, you know, I actually used their server technology to run ForSync on. And Foreshared has had a lot of, you know, after the mega upload happened, Foreshared has had a lot of heat on them. Um, and we have made a lot of changes. We have DMCA agents 
However, we cannot remove, you know, it's very hard to remove everything. Um, and we, they have had some issues. However, a lot of the requests, surprisingly, are not true requests. I think you had the same issue where you do get those requests. However, we do some research, and then it turns out it actually is not a pirated track or whatever it may, may be. So it is very, but it is very difficult once you do deal with a lot of data to actually track every single track that's on your cloud. And most of the APIs you see for music. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, for music for sure. And something to be aware of is that a lot of the DMCA takedowns that come in are actually invalid in one way or another. So it's really easy to end up spending a lot of time on something that turns out it's just a false alarm. And does running your service in the cloud make it easier or more difficult to deal with these takedown notices, or is it sort of does it not matter? For us, it doesn't matter. It's just like you have to go into the database and do something and you prefer to build an admin system on top of that so you can let support people do it but i don't think it would matter if we were in the cloud or not yeah i don't think it matters it's pretty easy for us men with dark suits and sunglasses and warrants come into the data center and walk out with a couple of servers <laughs> doesn't happen very often but it does happen so we i think we've touched the, the stickiest bits of the music side are rights, data ownership, jurisdictions, dealing with takedowns from disparate, uh, disparate locations. Um, the, the, any of you have anything final to say on, on that side, the, the legal issue, the sort of being in, in this cloud world of everything everywhere? Sure. I mean, I would like to um, just kind of say a little bit something about ForShared and services like that. Um, you know, a lot of artists actually, ForShared is number one website in Brazil for musicians because what they do there, um, they upload their music on the cloud and they actually make it public for sharing because there's another way to get recognized in Brazil. Um, you know, that way people find out who they are and they go buy the tickets to see them play in concert. So I think there are positive things of sharing music in the cloud. It's not all negative or copyright. There are smaller bands that actually do benefit from sharing music. Yeah, and I want to say too that like the, there are reasons that there are all these rules and regulations, right? There's so many different stakeholders in music, from the artist and the songwriter to the label and different enabling technology companies and so forth, that like uh, it might be hard to navigate. Um, but it's in everyone's best interest to do so, and there's some, like, some evil mastermind sitting there. And, like, it's important to work with everyone, especially the content creators and the labels, because it's their content, and without them, there wouldn't be any content to distribute. So like, it's just really, really important to take them seriously and respect them. So let, let's now have the inflection point conversation, because business is evolved and you start kind of needing to prove something out, and then you get bigger and you want to focus on the business, not the infrastructure, and then you get bigger and you need to focus on the infrastructure, and then you get bigger still, and you need to own from something else the infrastructure. And I think the makeup of that and where those decisions need to be made or discussed has been changing pretty dramatically in the past five to 10 years because of the cloud, and has been changing every year as the cloud matures. So, so how have you seen that? What are, what are the inflection points that have mattered to each of you and, and that you see on a frequent basis that people, um, that, that you did right or wrong, preferably did wrong, so you got some good stories out of this, and, and that you see people um, having problems with frequently? 
Um, yeah, so a couple examples that we've seen. Uh, one, one of our larger clients, uh, who most of you probably know, is Zynga. They take a they take a full data center building from us, and uh, they use the cloud in a really unique way, or, or in, in, probably not that unique, but but interesting way. Um, first of all, they you, you probably heard that they they run a cloud. They run their Z Cloud, which probably isn't all that different from from Anna's cloud. Uh, and that's where they, they own their infrastructure. It sits in one of our data centers and, and they operate it and they run their games and serve their games from that. When they launch a new game, they don't know how it's going to be received. It could be, you know, overwhelming and, and, and uh, drive lots of traffic and lots of network resources. And so uh, the Amazon infrastructure is very good for that. Uh, it allows the, the scalability uh, that Chris was talking about. So they, they scale up, they see how that game's going to perform. And then once they, they, they see what the stability is, assuming it's a successful game, they then bring it in-house and run it on their, their own systems because they've, they've gotten to a maturity point where, where they feel that they can do it well and better and more cost-effectively. Yeah, I think uh, it's really, we've touched on this before, but it's really different for, for every single business uh, what uh, that inflection point entails and when it comes. Uh, we started about three years ago, so we've, we've always been on the cloud. We've not been on Amazon for the whole time, but we actually started with a different cloud provider. And then as we grew, they were mostly offering servers. Um, and Amazon was offering this much wider range uh, that gave us more flexibility when it comes to load balancing, DNS, and email, and so forth, to just get those services up and running really quickly. So we outgrew our first cloud provider and into our second one. And sooner or later, uh, certain parts of our services will stabilize enough that it will make a lot of sense to put them in a data center. So that will be our next inflection point, but we haven't reached it yet. How many machines are you running? How many instances, approximately? The question is, how many machines are you running? How many instances, and uh, how is that growing? Right. Mm -hmm. So, it you have, you have to remember that the, it's not just the number of instances, right? It's like what different capacities they have. I believe Bandpage at this point is running closer to 80 instances on the Amazon Cloud, and. It's from the very smallest micro instances up to the sort of M4 extra large instances. And we, we use like most of their services to from the database services to MapReduce and email and DNS. And we're pretty fully integrated into their customer market, some call it. So I, I think these inflection points occur because there are problems with the cloud that you need to correct for in different ways. So the, the question now is sort of what are the problems that you see with the cloud at certain points that you're forced to uh, correct for? Well, for us, it was the cost of Amazon S3. Um, you know, ForSync is built on um, for shared server technology and the, you know, because it is so efficient. So there was never inflection. They just built out their own cloud, and um, you know we're working on a white label. They're working on a white label for other businesses too. So it's a cost efficiency. Yeah, for us it's cost and actually getting consumers a really good price to so, use the so, cloud. So can you give some examples of the costs you saved? Well, for example, you know Dropbox is one of our biggest competitors. They uh, have about 
also the same amount of data as we do. They host, um, however, they pay $3 million a year for Amazon S3, and we pay $400,000 to host our own cloud. That's with everything, paying for the data centers, paying for the servers. Uh, so that's a really big difference for us, especially bootstrapped, because we're a bootstrapped startup. So we can't afford $3 million a year for Amazon, so we just built our own. Is that a question? Yeah, please. So one of the things that we experienced is an entrepreneurial way to start as well, and um, was the cost of administration and the cost to have, it's not just one administrator, right? Because you have to have 24 by 7 suppose you kind of need two guys to bounce back off, that's 150K each, you know, and then not only that, but they need service contracts because they don't have every answer in their back pocket, so you have to have some sort of support contract, so that's another 100K a year. So, you know, yeah, we saw some significant cost decrease by doing bare metal um, or you know rolling our own servers, but we saw there's this inflection point that you're talking about where you know there's some hidden costs there because you have to have the profession professionals and the contracts in place to support their bare metal, and that was one of the kind of places where we were always teetering on: do we do we allow the cloud to manage it and take advantage, pay a little bit more, or do we roll you know bring in house and find talent? No, I, I think that's a that's a really great point. Um, I, I I kind of an, an anecdotal conversation with someone at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and and their uh, their Amazon bill every month was about fifteen thousand dollars. He told me, and 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 so we you know we just kind of sketched it out, and we figured that in a colocation you know server cabinet, bandwidth, power, he could probably run that infrastructure for for uh you know 1500 so yeah there there's your there's your administrator right there to make the change so so then you go to two racks you go to three racks four racks at some point maybe you hit that um the other thing that we hear from uh some of our customers who are considering making the change or have made the change is that there's some additional savings that can be gained um, depending on on you know what your infrastructure is uh, with the cloud provider, so you have to take you, you need a certain amount of storage. You're going to take a certain amount of processing that you may not need. So you might be able to spec servers that are going to going to cost less and, and get you some savings there. But it it really is different for everyone, I think, and, and you know no no two stories are alike. Right. But, uh, what's my size? How big or how far can I go manage my resources to the point where it's time to bring in my own people and manage it as opposed to pay someone else to manage it. Maybe pay a little bit of premium but not have to stay awake at night because there's only one guy. Right. And that brings you right back to the lowered barrier of entry that the clouds enabled all this technology that for for not for not just for music, but certainly for music. Yeah, I, I think there's one other problem here, which is almost the reason that cloud came about, uh, not entirely, but partially is that data centers are hard to run. You need a lot of people with disparate skill sets. You need possibly a network engineer. You need some guy who can fix a box when they go bad, understands how to solder a CPU, uh, is there, you know, go buy something, you know, uh, super micro, and put the together to keep it really cheap. Um, and it, it's all over the place, and there's a really high cost and a really high knowledge barrier. Whereas the cloud is super easy, but there is a point where you start to care. Hey, I'm on Amazon, and I don't want. Uh, I want a lot of memory, but not a lot of CPU. Well, we don't offer that. So then there's a software where you can really choose. But then, well, I can't get enough disks, and I really want storage. And then you need a rack, and you need a box, and then can you combine things? And, and where do you see people going? Because I know I see so many startups that are fully in the cloud. 
and I see a bunch of stars that have migrated to just physical boxes. So now they're there are new offerings. Raspberry has an offering, software has an offering. You get physical and cloud. And that seems like a vested group as to where people are going. But I know very few people who are actually doing that today. So can, can any of you speak to that? I mean, we certainly have customers that are that are running, you know, what uh, what's being called a hybrid solution, where they, you know, I mean, the the Zynga example I gave earlier is probably our biggest one, than one that I'm allowed to talk about. Um, but but Amazon's built a product around it called Direct Connect, which makes it easy to run between your infrastructure and their infrastructure, and you know that 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 feeds both ways. It helps people. It helps become an off ramp from the cloud into owning your own hardware if that's what you want to do. And it also enables you to, to run those um, scalable, spiky services um, on, on, on their infrastructure relatively easily. So I think that's, you know, it's trending that way, definitely. And I think that really depends on what you're trying to do. If you're using the cloud to offload data processing, that makes tons of sense. But if you're using the cloud because you want to let services here, but your database is needed to do small boxes, that kind of solution doesn't fly because they're just not physically close enough and your, your latency is too high to run a real, a real production environment. And so tying those together, what, what are people buying? What are people building out of the data centers to solve those problems? So I think that really precedes the change. <laughs> that you, you like, what, like what kind of infrastructure are they putting in? What am I seeing for hardware? Or yeah, who, who's, that, who's actually building out infrastructure that... Um, I don't know if I have that much insight into, into what most of my customers are doing. I, when I talk to them anecdotally, most of them are, are, they're either using the cloud or they're looking at ways that they can to save money, um, on a, on a quote unquote private cloud basis. Um, I would say almost all of our customers over the last five years have virtualized in some way and are, are taking advantage of cost savings on hardware, elect, electrical usage, um, in, in that manner. So then I, I think the, the ugly side of hosting, be it cloud or physical, is dealing with outages. So how has the cloud helped or hindered each of you? <laughs> uh, it's been a it's been a wild ride. We've, uh, as I said, we're entirely on Amazon. They've had some really major outages, um, but actually, we have not gone down during those outages. Uh, we have worked with Amazon on this uh, from the very beginning to make sure that we are properly distributed between multiple uh, availability zones and stuff like that. And so, even when the US East one went down back in April, and took
for us or like key points about the cloud is when you start a company or you're very few engineers um, the cloud for us provides APIs to control all of these services so rather than having a guy on staff like switching the disk or spinning up a new instance it becomes a software problem and software engineers can deal with software problems and they can write a little script that's like, I'll switch out the disk if it goes above 80% utilization or whatever, right? And that is really, really helpful when you are only a few people. Um, for, I mean, for us, our business is cloud, as I mentioned earlier, and, um, you know, we're, the software on top of the cloud is just a little part of that, but we see cloud as all your things. Our goal is to actually free people from, you know, contracts, uh, brands, um, so you have your data available anywhere with you, and that's where I see um, us moving into us having all your things on the cloud, and, you know, maybe you'll be even renting devices to access your stuff that's already in the cloud, and that's where I see, you know, consumers moving completely in the cloud, because I, you know, I believe in 2020, you're not really going to have hard hardware in your hand, you're, you're just going to have the cloud and you'll be able to access it from anywhere in the world at any point, um, you know, and I hope the bandwidth will be a lot better too. Because that's a really big issue for cloud right now is actually accessing the data because it does have to be with your Wi-Fi connection. And, um, you know, our cloud is only available when you're connected to the Wi-Fi. Yeah, so so for me, you know, I see it on the on the customer side, you know, much like Chris, and then on the consumer side, like Anna. But then I, I go into our buildings and I walk through racks and racks of servers and and see generators and big air conditioning units. So in, in my mind, it's actually a, it's it's also a very physical thing. It's still um, web and computer infrastructure in, in a very big and massive way. So uh, jumping off. And this point about where the cloud is going, and physical devices are prodding the way. Your your stuff is going to be over there. You don't have to worry about it. Um, what what does the infrastructure of a tech company look like in five ten years? Well, it depends on what tech company. <laughs> it was an open ended question. Yeah, I think it depends entirely on what type of company you are and what you do, but uh, I would imagine that as we have talked about, there will be more and more hybrid solutions, uh, and I personally think that there will be more and more abstraction on top of that, so that regardless of if you are running it entirely virtualized on Amazon or if like, half of your stack is like physical boxes, there will most likely be an abstraction layer on top that just provides APIs for all of that so that you can control it as a software problem that system engineers like DevOps are solving 
rather than having like physical network engineers in the building. Um, I mean, uh, we, we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, Amazon and the other cloud providers get better and better at addressing uh, privacy concerns, security concerns, um, customization of, of, of what's available uh, to to the tech, to their customers. And so I, I think there will be a continued migration toward it. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to say, but, you know, certainly... You know, there's there's lots of very very smart people in the in the um, technology world who have figured out ways to run their own systems, um, you know, very efficiently and customized in certain ways. So I think we'll probably see uh, continue to see trend toward the toward cloud type services for for tech companies. But I think you're going to find the um, the do it yourselfers out there will continue to thrive for a while. So that leads to another interesting question, which is if there's this proliferation of different players and APIs and data sources and rights owners with music and all this, and it, it feels like things are you know, a lot more complicated, uh, especially legally in terms of who owns the data, which, who, which service owns it, which user owns it, how does it all play nicely together? And the real question is how, how do you guys see that shaking down? How in the end, like it, it makes sense for the world to shape up one way from a user point of view, from a user experience point of view, and from an intelligent, reasonable person point of view. But the business reality, the legal realities, don't point to that future. So how do you how do you think it's going to come together? Well, on our cloud, you own your data. So if you upload a song, it's your song, and we didn't we don't have access to it at all unless there's some kind of legal situation going on. So I believe, you know, that's how we're going to keep our cloud is, uh, you know, it's completely your data. And I, I mean, I hope that it stays that way because it's just very, you know, you can't really be on the cloud unless it's, I wouldn't use the cloud unless I knew it was very safe and the data was mine. Yeah, I guess uh, for us, uh, when you add data into the band page system as a band, uh, you're granting us a revocable license, uh, which means that as soon as you want to take your data down or change it, you know, like, we do not have the license anymore. And, and that way, you're always in control, but, but while the data is in our systems, you have licensed us the control to distribute it for you. So it, it can become very complicated. and. My hope is that the industry can come together and sort of abstract on top of that and make it pretty clear uh, whose data is where and how can it be used and one way or another that we're building more and more abstraction layers on top of that. But to the end users, be them startups innovating on top of existing technology or consumers, that it's really clear what is going to happen with their data. So that's all nice and good, but aren't you beholden to the most restrictive API in the ecosystem? If you're touching Google Drive and Google says they own it, isn't that out of your hands? Uh, yes, so it's really important to pick the, your services carefully. And I think that is another example of one of those inflection points. Like maybe you start out with a provider like Google Drive, uh, and then you realize that it's too restrictive to grow your business in a certain way and maybe you have to 
switch to another provider or build it from scratch yourself so that you don't have those problems. So a lot of the times you can start out with many different providers uh, that could solve all your business problems for you, but then as you grow, like, it almost always makes sense to take some of that in-house so that you it is on your terms, literally. Um, I, I want to open this up to questions. Uh, there's a mic floating around, um, so please grab the mic. But let's uh, get a conversation going, please. So, say I'm an enterprise. Uh, say I'm a drug company, and I work for a drug company, and there are significant privacy issues around everything that I do. Um, how can I benefit from the cloud but still survive within all those regulations? Uh, well, I think yeah, Amazon, they, they've made a big push uh, to, to solve just that problem. They've worked a lot with the government, so they have what they call the virtual private clouds where they guarantee the privacy of your data even, even within the, the virtualized data center you only have access to your own data, and the way they do that is by VPN and using IP security so that you, you set up your own virtual subnet and nothing will get in there, uh, and they guarantee that. So that is one of the ways that you can use the cloud while guaranteeing privacy for your data. The regulators don't recognize that as a solution. Yeah. So don't do it yet. <laughs> <laughs> We continue, yeah, I would, I would say, you know, and thinking back on your question, you know, who's building and, and buying and owning their own servers today, it's, you know, besides the technology companies that find it's the right fit, you know, it's, it's the law firms, the pharma companies, uh, the financial institutions, all, all that stuff's still pretty much being managed on their own. And in fact, these, these uh, verticals have, have just, sort of warmed up the co-location in the last couple of years. <laughs> and, and there are also regulations that govern physical security of the infrastructure. And right. Things that the cloud may or may not be able to do it. It really depends on where it exists and who's hosting it. One of the things that we typically do for, for these types of customers is, is um, bring their auditors in once a year and, you know, have them look around the facility, you know, not, not just the servers, but, you know, our generators and they look at, at you know, our maintenance records and things like that. So I, I don't know if, you know, Amazon or Rackspace are, are doing that sort of thing, but, but uh, they look to us for it and we can provide it. Uh, I think that it really speaks to that there are two different types of infrastructure clouds. There's the Amazon, the Rackspace, the softwares, and then there's the, I'm a company and I own my own infrastructure, and I virtualize it, and I can roll what I want to roll, but it's actually mine and governed by me, and I own all the data and all the regulation, all the compliance over it is my responsibility, and that makes me a lot happier. Um, it may not save you the same amount of money, but uh, the one example I've seen that's been really amazing for pharmaceutical has been research. The ability to scale up and run an enormous amount of data processing is something that you just can't buy bare metal and do efficiently, where you, if you can anonymize the data and set the research up correctly, you can throw it on the cloud and knock that out in 24 hours at a you know significantly reduced cost.
maybe blow 20 grand. Right? And, and I've seen that too, where you have, I said, as long as you anonymize the data and you're careful with the regulators, if you can throw that data and do all the crazy processing off that Amazon is just set and forget processing, you get your data back and then you can reconnect the data with your own infrastructure. Um, that has been used quite effectively, quite cost effectively, but you need the team that's able to do that and that costs a good sum of money as well. So that, that you gain money in efficiency, but you lose money in, in staff and understanding how to do that. But that's a software problem. So you can yeah, build a team on software. Yes, uh, it, it is a software problem, definitely. Not, not a hardware problem at that point. Uh, and any other questions? Uh, if, if not, then we'll um, come back to the panel, I guess. Um, any horror stories of uh, building in the clouds, clients you've seen, uh, trying to ask like, people who said, you know, we're going to use the cloud and everything fell across space. So people said, we definitely are in the cloud. Whoa, to the cloud they went. I haven't seen any of that. Um, you know, there's, there's been some public outages with, with Amazon, but you know, we're, we're in the data center business and, you know, outages exist everywhere. So, uh, you know, they can, I think they can happen, happen either way. It's just how you architect for those and, and your own, um, you know, uh, risk analysis and, and, and cost benefit to however you choose to replicate or be redundant. Yeah, I don't really have any horror stories either, but I think the, the key lesson about the stuff that you hear, you know, like Netflix going down and all of America and stuff like that is regardless of the solution that you choose, you have to be really careful to architect the infrastructure the right way to be able to handle outages. And if you're using co-location, then, then you need two different co-locations. And if you're using cloud services, then you need several different availability zones and so forth and automatic failover between these so that when the outage happens well maybe you're at half capacity but you're up no no horror stories for us yet however you know we've been so focused on the back end that we're trying to catch up on the front end of the software side so a lot of bugs still so, so that that's actually you know, one other interesting question here is it feels like data centers are sort of no problems. People know how to scale data centers. You get a sort of homogenous infrastructure in one place, you put in a couple other places, you run BGP across them, you do any task DNS, you, you've got the solution. People know how to do it. They cost a lot of money, but it's known it's solved. And cloud is so new that people are still stubbing their toes on it all the time. Um, does that make sense? Does, is cloud known and just people aren't doing it because they're cheap or it's too soon or business lifecycle to implement, what's happening there? Um, I think the most common mistake that people do when they architect it is how they structure the caches. The, the caching is really key to cloud because their like, IO is slow, right? And you also have like higher latency between the machines. So if you're running several availability zones, like your caches still need to be in one availability zone. And in order to structure that efficiently so that the right data still goes out, you have to be pretty careful in your distributed logic. Any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. Make something up if you need to. 
Uh, sort of back to what you were talking about before, I think you're sort of referring to progression in the cloud. And I'm wondering how, since you've been on the cloud, how you feel the progression has gone oh, for all of you. Um, yeah, so I think uh, it's extremely rapid innovation and it's different for different providers and I think there are more companies joining every day too that provide new services. We, as I said earlier, we, we switched switch from our previous cloud provider to Amazon because they were mostly doing servers and at the time Amazon was mostly doing servers too and a few other things like load balancing. And now I think they have over 20 services and each of those have their own product teams and they release like on a weekly cycle. So the innovation is more than we have ever seen and prices are going down relatively quickly and like the amount of different kinds of services is pretty mind-blowing compared to just a few years ago. Um, actually, I'll get things I, I also want to say um, just the inflection points I've seen is there are a couple of really specific ones you see hitting companies on cloud services. The first one is sort of the generic, you need to get off a single server. You have everything in one place and it's time to sort of break up other components and turn on other things. That's the first real pain most people feel as there's resource utilization. The second pain is, oh shoot, my database is getting really big. I need to look at sharding or replication or, or spreading this out over more, you know, more services or locations or whatever. Um, the next pain tends to be, oh God, this is so big, I need to look at actually having my infrastructure in multiple locations. And then other pains within are, my disks are too slow, I'm locking up on IOPS, which is really, really rough in the cloud. Or you have, well, I've got some services that are really heavy on memory and some that are really heavy on CPU, but I can't have them on the same box because my caching boxes are to get slow when the CPU spikes and start playing with all those little things. Different clouds are better for different problems. Um, and at some points, you know, if you really, really, really need fast disks, you need physical servers with SSDs. And you know, WordPress, for instance, cut their server infrastructure in a third from 1,200 to 400 servers a couple of years ago by switching their databases to SSDs and moving them into physical hardware. And so there are real cost savings and real efficiencies on what you can do at each of these points. But you sort of have to get them and play with them, and you have to know the infrastructure you're dealing with and what can and cannot do. And one cloud is, you know, the cloud is not one size fits all. And don't think it is for a second. Because, you know, band pages is using the cloud very differently than forcing is using the cloud. And, you know, everyone shops is building their own cloud in very different ways. Um, so you really can figure out what makes sense for your business. Um, and it's not just the cloud is the cloud, because if you think that way, you're, you're already losing. Seth, I just want to say that, um, you know, I do agree with you that, every, you know, each cloud is different for everyone. However, we're really focused on consumer cloud and what we found that people don't really understand what the cloud is. So we're really focused on educating consumers of what the cloud is and how they could actually benefit from using it, because that's a really big issue. And they also don't want to pay for cloud. So how can we make it as efficient as cheap as possible for consumers to use and benefit from the cloud? And I think that's a great point too. Infrastructure is not one size fits all, but when you're a consumer coming in, you shouldn't be worrying. No, you shouldn't worry about the back end at all. You should just, you know, seamlessly synchronize your things and have them available to you anywhere. And do you have a question? So that was actually a good lead in for my question, which is vendor lock-in. 
how do you avoid with all of the beautiful services that say AWS provides, how do you make it easier for yourself to get out of that at the point in time you hit that inflection point going, I want to move to my own private cloud? Absolutely. So it's uh, key to code defensively in that sense, right? So if they provide a good API for email, then you probably don't want to integrate into that directly, but you want to have like a service in between that like translates between like a standardized way that you do email and the way they do email. And then if you want to switch to a different email provider, you just change that code, but all the rest of your code is the same, right? And you can do this for anything, like any of the services that they provide, databases, whatever. You, as long as you sort of put a little piece in between, then you can avoid a vendor lock-in in the sense that you just you, you will have to change something, but you'll only have to change it in one place at one time. And like I guess the hardest part of that is the server images themselves that define how the server is set up. But even though there are third-party solutions like RightScale that will help you build server images that you can use uh, in multiple clouds, including your own private cloud if you do your own deployments. I, I would sum that up myself as code to roles, not to actual functional specs, right? This is the job that email server right that, and the email server can speak to the underlying capacity, but it just, you know, know what you're doing, don't write to the actual platform, write to the role you want the component to take. And with that, guys, that's our time. Thank you very, very much. And uh, if you have any more questions, we'll be over here. Thank you.